In this episode, we're going to have a special guest named Della from Della Teaches to discuss the intersection of reading and speaking. And specifically, we're going to talk about how the brain works when you're reading, the speaking and reading connection in your brain, and also some myths and even some tips in reading. I'm Bianca, your American accent coach, and I'm here to help you and to know that your voice is your choice when it comes to your accent in English. You can subscribe and get the show notes down below wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, if you want to watch the full video version. And now I'm at the show. My name is Della Martin. I'm an online English language teacher, and I am just passionate about teaching English through reading. I have my master's degree in TESOL from Hunter College in New York City. I have taught from very, very, you know, small four-year-olds up to people in their 80s. I've taught in private language schools. I've taught in retirement homes. And I was a school teacher in New York City for two years, teaching ESL to elementary and middle schoolers. Yeah, I just love it. It's it's my passion. I took a break when I had my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, since the pandemic, I've just gotten right back into it. I teach in my ministry. I run that program. And I just am, I love talking about teaching English. And let's tie those together. So there's reading and there's the passion for English. Tell me more about where that mm-hmm. came from. Were you always a reader as a kid? What happened? So reading always came easy for me. Other things did not come easy to me, Mm. but reading came really easy to me. And it's always been for me an escape. Even when I started having my family, I used to read a lot before that. And then when Mm -hmm. I started having kids, Mm -hmm. I stopped reading. Uh So since starting up teaching, I've gotten back into the habit of reading for fun, of reading mm-hmm. to learn things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of reading about, you know, teaching and the brain and positive psychology. Whenever you read book one, book two, book three, you never would have thought it, but they all seem to intertwine and you kind of chose them maybe subconsciously for a reason and they all seem to fit together. This happens to me a lot. I don't do it on purpose. And I think, but wait, that was just something here. And that made me think of this other thing. And it's one of those things where more is more, right? So many things are less is more. But for reading, I feel like more is more. And they all kind of seem to forge their own connections. Have you had that experience? I can see that, definitely. Because I find that I read one book by one person. Like, oh, I want to learn about like emotional intelligence. So let mm-hmm. me read you know, Brene Brown. And then yeah, yeah. it spirals into, oh, we'll start talking about positive psychology so let me read this other author and then you see the kind of connections in it i think it's also about following what interests you Mm -hmm. and just knowing there are so many people out there who have so many different thoughts and opinions Mm -hmm. about a topic so many different takes on it and so many different ways to express those takes so i can see that exactly in fact speaking of brene brown have you read brene brown's book the atlas of the heart is it right there handy it's not down in this office but Uh, yes uh that was one that started me on my journey oh that's funny because i got this book because i was looking at how intonation is in english Mm -hmm. and how when we express things it must be hard for other people to pick up on our sarcasm let alone people who are let's say people are on the spectrum of autism somewhere and english is already their first language but they might have some kind of processing issues or difficulties with intonation specifically. So I started looking at that and I started looking at 
what actually are we doing with our intonation, right? We're conveying emotions. Often we're doing it for a purpose. And that led me down to so many different publications and they didn't quite agree on emotions and they didn't quite agree on like, well, what are the basic emotions? And I'm like, my God, if we can't agree on the basic emotions. How can we agree on how to convey those things? But I love Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, because it takes all those into consideration and it says, look, this is what we're going to do based on what we see and how she classifies them and exemplifies them. To me, that was really, really helpful. And in fact, I started creating an app. It never came to fruition. Hadn't seen light yet. But the idea, you'll love this. The idea is that there's an app for people to match their intonation mapped onto those emotions divided into that way. So that's what led me down this path recently, really getting into intonation. So it's so funny that we both had that inspiration, the same book. I was reading that book because I'm a very logical person. Now, where do you try and understand? <laughs> Put all the emotions in a box. Mm -hmm. I think that was what was really helpful for me, too, because I'm often like a head person. And mm -hmm. let me analyze everything. Emotions. Oh, yes, I can figure this out. Right. We can put these into boxes. And so I think that was helpful because I was trying to find that kind of thing and nobody really seemed to agree. And yeah. I think that was the problem that I had with this. And mm -hmm. I think taking that a step further, that's where my logical brain is like, let's look at intonation. Let's break down emotions into how we I speak. It. <laughs> that's a Perfect. great idea. What's one book that's really also inspired you besides the Brene Brown book? Mm -hmm. Is there even anything lately that's inspired you about? learning English, or I'm specifically thinking about how our brain works when we're reading and speaking and things like that. Is there anything that's influenced you lately in your teaching? The book that it's right here. In my teaching, it's The Reading Mind, uh -huh. um, Daniel Willingham. So <laughs> I have been reading this. It all started with, I would have my book club and I would think about what are the things that the students in my book club are struggling with? How do we actually read in the brain. Mm -hmm. The reason why I wanted to read this book is a lot of times the students would be like, they would come across a word mm. and then just kind of like stop them. You in know? their tracks. Dead in their tracks. Yeah. They're reading and they come across a word that stops them and it just literally just stops them. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're stuck on it. They fixate on it. And I wanted to come up with strategies that they could do so that they would feel more empowered. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I need to understand better, what, what is the brain doing? What are all the things that are involved when you're reading? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it's like for most things in my language, it seems natural. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's easy. It mm -hmm. seems effortless because I've been doing it from a young age and it's comfortable to me. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing it in another language, it's not. Yes. There's a lot of mental processes that are going on in the mind when you look mm -hmm. at a book, if you look at print on the computer screen or on your phone, or you're looking at an article or a blog, or you're just, you know, looking at your e-reader. There's a lot that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to practice. Come mm -hmm. effortless, comfortable. Yeah. That enjoy. makes me think of what, I don't know if you're around the same age as me, but when I was a kid, this is dating me, the computers were still kind of new. <laughs> there was a time when computers were new. And in my school, we were super advanced and we had like three computers that kids could take turns on. And so in your lunch break, you'd like make the little turtle cross the road by using the arrow keys and stuff like that. But I remember there was this program where you would kind of make a stick figure walk. And you think, just walking. I know how to do that. I do it every day. I've been doing it every day. But you forget how much effort it took as a baby <laughs> to get all 
that stuff coordinated. And then when you try to make it happen on a computer in the past, you then realize like, wow, this is so difficult. Like there are so many little things that you have to coordinate and get right. And it's such a complex process, but we've internalized all those things. And that's just walking. And, you know, most humans can walk. But like you said, now it's in a second language. It's not like I walk differently in another language. All of those skills are transferable. But now there's so much of my life that I can't do or do as well in my second language. And a lot of my Mm -hmm. input is text based. So what happens then, in your opinion, what happens between these symbols on a page, this black ink, let's say on top of white ink, what happens between that page through your eyeballs into your brain? Magic happens in there and some thinking goes on. What what is that black box all about? It's a lot. I have like for myself just like drawn a picture of mm-hmm. the brain. Your eyes see the print on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. So then you see the letters yeah. from the words or the sentences. And then you have to process the sounds that these mm-hmm. letters are making. And that's and in then, English, right? Forget about a logographic and- language. There's other processes that must happen. And we're probably all yeah. already lots of variation there. So just for English, I need to see letters. That letter has to have meaning. That meaning is yeah. maybe a unit of sound or a syllable, at least, is a unit of sound. Please continue. There's also grammatical. <laughs> looking at letters, <laughs> knowing like, oh, that was in the past tense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then there's, like you said, the meaning, making mm. meaning of the words, mm-hmm. pulling out background information. Looking through your mental dictionary of like, mm-hmm. does the word mean this definition of the word or does the word mean another definition mm-hmm. of the word? So all of these things are happening like that, like a snap. When you have the process down. When, you have when it's automated. As an adult, just- let's say. Most adults who have been doing this process for a while, the synapses yeah. are really forged. They're the bridges anyways, right? To us, we don't even think about it. like driving a car. There's another really complex thing that we've super automated, all those little yeah. tiny things. We forget how much there is to it, how many layers are on that onion. And when you're starting to do this, it takes time. It takes time when you're starting to learn how to read in general, because humans, we weren't born reading. It's mm. something that we've had to learn. We're mm. born speaking. Mm. Well, we're not born speaking, but we we develop making speech. noises, yeah, and understanding yeah. that noises are important, yeah. and that's how we communicate information. But reading is something that we have to learn, something mm-hmm. that we have to be taught. Mm-hmm. I think another important aspect of how the brain works is memory, mm-hmm. being able to remember remember what's important, remember what's not important. Oftentimes, uh-huh. when I'm reading a book, even just like a fiction novel, I read it, I finish it. If you were to go back and ask me, like, what was the name of that character who did this and that and that, <laughs> I will not remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. I might know what happened, but I was like, I don't remember his name. And memories are encoded with, like, feelings, too. So that's a fantasy novel, right? You're probably having a lot of feelings about that. There's an adventure or there's something sad that happens. Yeah. And did you ever watch the movie The NeverEnding Story? I, you know what? That's one of them that I did not watch. Oh, <laughs> no, flying dog. Uh-huh, dragony doggy kind of beast. I can't believe you haven't seen this. It's a boy who finds like a dusty old book. And when he reads the book, he's transported to be inside the book. How do you not know this? You're going to love it. My point is, I think it's on, I don't know if it's on Netflix right now or Disney Plus or somewhere. I was just flipping through some movies and I was like, oh my God, it's a Netflix story. It's been so long. 
And it's one of these things that really, when I was a kid, I watched it and it made you cry. It made you laugh. And it was all these things in one. And so I always remembered that book. And now even to see it today, I got a little teary eyed because the preview had a part that was very, very sad. Or I think it was difficult for you to experience as a kid. And so I think, I don't know how you feel about this. I think we kind of learn emotions sometimes through reading and they're often solidified and our memories come from those. So there's like this chicken and the egg kind of thing where like, I must have already known about sadness, right? And fear and things, but this really solidified it. And you get to experience those things again through the book, through another character at a safe distance, you know? And the point I want to make about that is why do we read? It's emotional. We reread those books to get that feeling that we had mm-hmm. when we first read the book. We look for books to give us that warm, fuzzy feeling, usually, mm-hmm. or books that excite us. It can be an emotional thing. That's power. Even the negative emotions, right? Why are yeah. sad movies popular? You think we want to avoid that sadness at all costs, but sad yeah. movies are really powerful. And I think the reason is, It helps us connect to humanity, you know, on a larger scale. And I think sad books as well, not only gives us humanity as a whole, but also through time and space and it goes across cultures and things like that. So they're really so universal, even if they're not the same language, the experience is universal. And we can go back when we're feeling kind of alone or isolated. We can read a sad book and to tap into that and say, it's not just me. There's other things. Otherwise, why would we want to watch a sad movie? There's got to be some reason. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I read that book and I couldn't understand hatred. Like I couldn't understand. And I still don't really get it. But that kind of made me like, wow, like people really do hate women. Like this is a Uh book that is very like, it was traumatic to read. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. And it features people being victimized. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I just couldn't grasp. And I was like, oh, wow. That's a book that like, I thought it was a very well-written book. Mm -hmm. uh, But it helped me understand something that I just in my life didn't get that there are other people out there who do have such a hatred for other people. And to know what that's like from the other side, like, what does that mean? How does that look? I have a hard time watching with my eyes some things like Mm -hmm. that and certain scenes that are really uncomfortable or things like that. I can't handle rape scenes. I can't handle like Clockwork Orange. I can't do it. Like I feel physically ill, but I can read it and I can't take my eyes off of it. So there's a different way maybe to experience it at least in my past, that I'm like, I can handle things in writing that I cannot handle visually. And so if you know that about yourself, maybe you can kind of widen those different Mm -hmm. things. So experiences Mm -hmm. are really important. We were talking about how reading kind of works, all these different levels. What about reading and speaking? It goes from the text through your eyeballs into your brains. There's a blender in there that blends everything up and you get some information out of that. And let's say I wanted to talk about the book. Let's say you wanted to talk about some experience that you have in this book. How do I correlate, at least in English, reading and speaking? So reading piggybacks off of speaking. We learn the sound. We all start speaking and learning the sounds of English as a child. And then reading, we have to learn how, learn the letters. We have to learn the sounds. We have to learn how to manipulate books, how to interact with books, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really big on talking about books. It doesn't have to be a quiet, solitary thing where I Mm. keep what I'm reading to myself. Mm. And I, it's the communication. It's about communicating with others 
what excites you. It's about communicating with others books that you thought were terrible. <laughs> what I recommend? Don't read that book. It was trash. Really about making it a social experience. There are book clubs which you meet at a bar. I have yet to go to one, but I want to. Mm -hmm. And you have like maybe like 30 minutes to like chat and socialize. And then you all have quiet time. Uh -huh. <laughs> Power to read a book of your choice. And then after that, okay, reading time's done. You come back to the group and you socialize more with people. You can say, oh, I read this and I talked about that. Reading is just a great way to bring people together in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think especially for English language learners, if you love to read in your first language, why not try mm -hmm. and develop this skill yeah. in English? And something that people maybe don't realize or neglect or something, and it's not their fault, they just might not know something like this, but you've got language one, language two, whatever they may be. And some people, let's say that they move to a new country and they want their kids to really thrive, right? And they think, we got to cut language one out of this household. We got to work on language number two. Uh-uh, seems to be a myth. You're shaking your head. Tell me why that's problematic. It could only add. Reading, like, it only adds. It just gets you running through those processes in your first language automatically. It, mm -hmm. The benefit of doing that, when you start to do it in English, it helps you. It helps you automatize the brain processes and start reading mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Reading effortlessly or especially do it do it do it i used to teach and a young girl came from the dominican republic and she was very intelligent but she didn't know any english and the book of choice in english was to kill a mockingbird oh um, somebody reading that advanced. right now a japanese oh, yeah. student who's an adult yeah yeah and he said why does everyone love this book so much he's like it's on all these top reading lists i guess i should you know read it and watch the movie and i was like if you're ready to cry you can do it so yeah i do but what we did is how we approached it was like listen we're going to read this book in spanish because let's start from there you can get the comprehension of it right mm -hmm. and then what we'll do is we'll work on talking about the book the way that you can with the language that you have in yeah. English. Mm -hmm. And she has very strong literacy skills in Spanish. Awesome. So she would yes. read it in Spanish. Yes. Do you find a lot of people are, how shall we say, uh, resistant to this idea? Like, oh, no, I need to read the book in my second language. You know, I don't realize I'm not quite ready. I'm not there yet, but that's my goal. And so that's what I'm going to do. And at least I've had this experience where they, and I've had it myself in Spanish too, because I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself because I think somebody said, oh, that should be a goal of yours. Like not watching subtitles, you know, or captions. No, you should turn the captions off. Please. It's a tool, right? And so I think that some people think they should be able to just jump ahead and read their whatever book in that second language and they'll figure it out as they go along. That's one strategy. But I'm partial to your strategy, which is in your first language, whatever that is, you should know the material so that you can then use it as a support system, maybe mm -hmm. for the speaking yeah. for, yeah. Yeah. Find a book that you love. Find a book that you love in your first language, mm -hmm. right? That may also be in English. Read it over and over and over and over and over again. You know, my favorite books, I haven't just read them once. I come back to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like movies, like series. Yeah. Like old friends. Yes. So, not just one time and done. I know you can check off that I've read, you know, The Great Gatsby. <laughs> one <Gatsby>. piece. <laughs> yeah. Just get it as a challenge. Yeah. You can come back to it. You can come back to it. And I think when you do come back to it, 
in English uh-huh. after you want the, the major kind of ideas and the important context and, you know, some of the things that the author is trying to tell you, but it's not written out. Like you'll get that in your first language and then you can kind of see how that might play out in English. That's kind of like really, really advanced. Like if you still are like, no, 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 I want to read. I want to read, you know, War and Peace. You can get the guided readers. Yeah, because, for example, War and Peace is the size of a pillow. You can use it as a pillow. But also each chapter of War and Peace is only like four pages. right? So you could actually chop it up into manageable pieces if that's your goal. So not to say about the goals. But for you, you just showed us some books that are called guided readers, right? So, And these are for specifically adults. Can you tell us more about what the benefit is of these guided readers? So the research on learning to read in English is that you're not supposed to expose yourself to a huge, you know, authentic text with all the vocabulary. It's just too much for your brain to process. Mm. So they really do take the vocabulary and make it words that you know. And like, look right here, this is an A2 level for this book here for Pride and Prejudice. So it just makes it accessible to you. Like, you need this first a couple of times, get a grasp on it, and then approach the actual text. Mm. Like any other input, right? You want main ideas first, and then you want details. And a lot of those details are in the nuanced language, vocabulary, maybe sometimes sentence structure if something is a bit complicated. You know, so that would be a great introduction. The thing that I love about English and me learning yeah. Spanish, at least it's Spanish, right? If it were a smaller language that I was learning, let's say, I don't know, Italian, right? Italian is still up there, but it's huge. There are so many more resources available in English for people learning English already than Spanish. I have such a hard time in Spanish finding something like that. And the ones you're talking about, these graded readers, like they've passed through many hands, many experts have put this together specifically to make life easier for you, to make your language learning more pleasurable, to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. And then like a friend, you can go back, you can up your game a little bit and finally get to the authentic text and get the most out of it. Because if you start with that first, you know, there's a lot more chances for failure and you might be frustrated, you might put it down and then you might not go back to it when... The path is actually simpler. It's almost like saying, go run a marathon, right? Don't do any training. Just go run a marathon. It's fine. No, no, no. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to just have to be dealing with the authentic text Mm -hmm. right away. You have to work your way up. You have to build that reading habit. They make these books for adults. I wouldn't just pick up a book in Spanish and just start reading. I need to be able to get a better grasp of the vocabulary Mm -hmm. and the grammar before I just double right in. I'm doing the same thing with myself. Like, okay, because Spanish is the language that I'm working on now. And I thought, okay, what book do I know really well in English that actually Mm -hmm. the original is in Spanish? So I was working on The Alchemist because love that book, read it a thousand times. I already know the story very, very well. So I thought, okay, this is something where I already got the flow, right? But I'm not going to know. There's still a lot I don't know because A, the vocabulary, B, the style, right? And then C, there's probably cultural stuff in there that I don't know that once when it was translated into English, they just had to kind of find a different way to say things. So I'm expecting a lot more work. And that's a very short book, but I also like it because I can talk 
to other people about it. You know, so that's been my choice. Yes. Do you have any other languages that you're working on? Spanish would be mine. I studied it in school. I spent two months in Cuba. I, from being there, and I was taking classes as well, mm -hmm. I've developed kind of a working knowledge of Spanish. Mm -hmm. So that helps me in my teaching. Mm. Um, You've been on the other I side would, of it. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to read, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. <laughs> Those are the you ones know? I have. Those are yeah. my big goals. I'm working up to it. <laughs> if I continue to practice reading exactly. in Spanish, mm. maybe starting off with some short stories, then I can work my way up to that. That's a yeah. great mindset. Just add the mm -hmm. dot, 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 yet. <laughs> Not able to do it what? yet. Yeah, I'm working on it. What has your experience been then in Spanish and English or seeing other people and their students in that, like we were saying, the reading and the speaking connection mm -hmm. what are the difficulties mm -hmm. there in english in spanish what do you want to tell me about that what i find is that in my community we've got a lot of people from latin america and i think they feel that they say things in their head and it sounds right and correct in their head mm -hmm. but then when they go to speak it it doesn't come out the way that they think the language in mm -hmm. their head mm -hmm. i've heard they just they want to feel more confidence. Mm -hmm. They want people to understand when they say certain things. Mm -hmm. And I think that it goes back to reading mm -hmm. and speaking and mm -hmm. just really exposing yourself to literacy-rich environments. Mm -hmm. That means talking about books, reading books, talking about what sound should that make? <laughs> Am I saying that correctly? That's some of the feedback I've gotten recently. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it right. In my head, it's one way. But then when it comes out, you know, the other person is like, what was that? Or do you uh -huh. mean this? So it's really just about building that confidence yeah. so that the things that you want to express, you feel confident and comfortable enough to express to others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Going back to that little voice. Or like, mm -hmm. at least in your first language, right? And maybe this yeah. is just me. I really don't know. But I presume it's pretty universal. When I think, just think, when I process my own thoughts, I know that this is not common. I see words. I see like a ticker tape running through my brain. I see sentences when I'm thinking in English. And then a little voice kind of reads them out to me. So there's a voice inside your head, right? That kind of speaks, I guess, speaks your thoughts for you. And then I'm reading actually some text and that text goes into my brain. And then my voice is reading that. My internal voice is reading that text. But then let's mm -hmm. say I want to read out loud and I mm -hmm. read that text out loud and the voice inside my head and the voice outside of my head, they don't seem to match. And that sounds like what you were just talking about, right? Oh, I thought I knew how to say that. I instructed mm -hmm. my mouth to make these movements to make that sound. But somebody else outside of my body is experiencing something different than I experienced in my head. Has that happened to you? Is that something that you feel like you can control? Like, talk about the little voice inside your head, the little voice that's reading. Well, I honestly think that I see things visually. Mm -hmm. I don't see words. Mm -hmm. I see pictures. Mm -hmm. I think it just kind of goes to show you that people process language very differently. Mm -hmm. And it really depends, I think, person to person. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think, and this is something that I'm learning, and I think that you probably already kind of practice that pronunciation, the way that we learn, the way that we process reading, it's a multisensory experience. So it's not just in my head yeah. quietly. 
people need to just have a quiet space mm. and read be talking around me mm. some people are sitting there and they're reading and they're mouthing out the words as they don't know mm. are you know listening to the audio and looking at it at the same time mm. so, so i think it goes to show that it's good to kind of practice different ways mm-hmm. of reading thinking about how you process language mm-hmm. of taking it in and figuring out what's more comfortable to you, what works best for you. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy more as well? You know, I really mm-hmm. love sitting in a coffee shop and reading or I like sitting in the sun and reading. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that more. I'd be getting as much out of it, but I'm enjoying my time. Yeah. I might not be able to tell you what I just read, but I had a great time just then. And I think at least in the past when I was growing up, we weren't taught this in school. We weren't taught to think about how you process language. Right. And now that's luckily a tool that we can use to get to somebody and say, like, hmm, do you see pictures? Do you hear words and noises? Do you see a ticker tape? I know that I'm probably in the minority there, too, but we have multisensory experiences that and probably no two of us are exactly alike. And you mentioned the pronunciation thing. When English is not your first language and you're looking Mm -hmm. at something and you look at something and you have a guess of how it's pronounced and the little voice inside your head says or writes or gives you a picture of something, Mm -hmm. then you make that association there and something may or may not come out that's the same. So there's almost like sometimes a disconnect. Have you noticed that with people? That there's a disconnect as to what they think, how they think it should be pronounced, and how they actually say it. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Would that be just because of the difference in like letter sound systems? Is that... I'm thinking, yeah. Like, for example... The word on the page is P-A-I-R. I saw a pair of pants. And somebody sees that and A-I, 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 pi-er, pi pi-er. They have to work through the spelling and they have to get something to kind of latch onto. And they're probably not thinking about fruit in their head, right? So if you think about apples and pears, right, then, then you say, oh, pear. Pair of pants. And there has to be some kind of connection there. But until then, it's almost like I've kind of seen it in people's eyes. They're almost mm-hmm. translating. They're translating the way the text is. They're almost translating it into their second English, which is like how I should say this versus how it's written, because English is not very transparent in those things. So there's yeah. almost like a disconnect between what I'm seeing and what I need to say. And there's almost a second layer. I'm just going to call it translation, more like transcription in their head. And it becomes automatic by exposing yourself to that word over and over and over again in different contexts. Mm -hmm. It's not automatic yet. Mm. So your short-term memory is working hard to just kind of be like, wait, which one is that? Mm. Do I say it like in my language? Do I say it in the new language, the second language? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's why you don't want to read a book with a bunch of really big, difficult words in it Mm -hmm. that you're not going to see all the time. You want to read books that have common, frequently used words, Mm -hmm. common, frequently used sounds of English so that you can get to know it, automatize it. Then you don't have to do the brain work to think about when you Mm -hmm. see it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your target when you have a reading, a graded reader, let's say, or or sorry, a guided reader? Is there a certain number that people suggest? Hey, here is your like I plus one, right? Here's where you should be challenging yourself, but only a little bit. 
So the way that I've, I've used this kind of in the past uh, is that if you open up a random page of a book mm-hmm. and you see that there are more than five words mm-hmm. on the page that you're not familiar with, it's too hard for you. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be stopping five times. So you really want to just get comfortable yeah. with a set of vocabulary. It mm-hmm. needs to be effortless. Mm-hmm. It has to be smoother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a threshold. For sure. That's not going to stop you too much. So some people I know, they like the stopping and they say, oh, no, I go to the dictionary and I keep a log and I make unky cards and, you know, I do all this stuff. And that's kind of a resource for them. And what would you say to that? They are translators. They they would like maybe to study Latin. That's how I learned when Uh I was in school, Latin. And Uh basically just translating the text word from word. You know, the Aeneid and all these kind of things from Latin to English. Uh Do I remember the story of what happened to Aeneas? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really good vocabulary Mm -hmm. that helped me when I wanted to learn Spanish. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do I remember what happened in the Aeneid? No. No, you were too busy analyzing. So your logical brain loved it, right? But your heart brain didn't get as much out of that particular. So, yeah, there can be different purposes behind that. Don't think like, Oh, you can only do this, you know, this is the way to read and that's it, right? There's other good purposes, good reasons for reading, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of know how the reading works in the brain. Are there any, let's say, fun facts or interesting tidbits that you'd also like to share? Because I want to hear about myths and tips too. But first I wanted to see if there's anything we've forgotten. I guess this is kind of a myth. People assume that you read like word by word oh. that you just fast readers are just reading it. That's the uh-huh. word, you know, next, uh-huh. next linearly. Word, next yeah. No, how it's happening. What's happening yes. are all these brain processes, looking at the letters, making the letter sound connection, making the meaning connection, the grammatical mm-hmm. meaning connection. That's all happening instantaneously. We don't read word by word. We mm. really do investigate in our minds, every little tiny aspect of mm-hmm. reading mm. so quick mm-hmm. especially when we're familiar with the vocabulary yeah. the words yeah, yeah, yeah. even if i'm reading kind of fluently a missing comma is going to trip me up sometimes mm-hmm. and so little things like that and you don't know what the problem is but your brain kind of stumbled a little bit and i'm like wait wait what and then you have to go back and figure out where the problem is and maybe mm-hmm. it was a misspelling of a word or a word order or a typo or something or sometimes just a little tiny comma. And because we're reading and processing so much at the same time, we don't always know what caused that little thing. Maybe in the book, there's a fact or a detail. It kind of stands out. And you were reading it and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't really jive with what I read earlier. And maybe that's there on purpose, right? That's like a a little thing in the book to give you some foreshadowing or something like that. But it, it still sticks out a little bit, you know, in your mind. And I don't know if you've heard this, I've read that standardized tests like TOEFL and IELTS and things like that, they're actually going to be changing the way that they do reading to scan your eyeballs and see if, in fact, (laughs) no, I know, crazy, right? See if you're reading linearly or Mm -hmm. see if you're reading kind of, I don't know how we'd say that, looping back and jumping around Mm -hmm. and because your eye scan is just like hopping all over the place as you're reading. And it's not one straight line. This is what I heard. And soon they're going to be able to tell by your rapid eye movements, not your sleeping ones, but how your eyes are moving, what you're scanning, and they're tracking that to see what your actual reading level is. I think there needs to be more 
just information about mm-hmm. it. Because most mm-hmm. of the research comes from studies on teaching children. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like literacy development in adults. Um, oh, I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but reading for test prep yeah. is yeah. very difficult for reading for leisure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> because that, you have to jump back mm-hmm. for test prep. Mm-hmm. When you're reading a romance novel on the beach, like you just keep going. Oh, slip <laughs> right through. Yeah. Some things are just made for readability, yeah. you know, part one, part yeah, two, yeah. part three. And yeah, you just want to like just blast through them and you're not mm-hmm. searching for details or examples or you're mm-hmm. not looking at structure or anything like that. And you mentioned I literacy would... in adults. Yes. I was teaching once in a center and I was teaching newcomers to the U.S., people who were working on their immigration status and things like that. And it was specifically a class to teach them how to pass the test, you know, the citizenship test. And there's a bunch of questions and they have to get them right. And so there were a lot of challenges there. And then once or twice, a few times, I met people who just didn't know how to hold a pencil and didn't know how to put paper to pencil as adults. And I remember thinking, A, how grateful and privileged I felt that that was such Mm -hmm. an automated skill. And then I had to learn how to teach those mm-hmm. skills. Have you come across that yourself where you had to be really have, basic? Right? Uh, when I was teaching in middle school, I met a little boy. I mean, he was a middle schooler. He didn't have any reading or writing capabilities in English or Spanish. Mm. And his background is just like, you know, he was smart. He knew about money. He knew about business because that was what was important to his family. He worked. Mm-hmm. He worked back home. In Dominican Republic, but he mm. couldn't read. Mm. So we started with him just like teaching him the basic, you know, phonemic awareness, mm-hmm. helping him build that. You have to start from the basics. Yeah. You have to start from the letter sound correspondences. You have to take their experiences, the things that are important to them in their life, and help them put that down into writing and help yeah. them express that. It's very um, meaningful. It sounds like there's yeah. a connection there. Yeah. And so that it'll be easier to remember. It'll be easier to remember those things. The really important thing to know, though, is that no matter where you are in your literacy journey, in your reading journey, you can improve. Mm -hmm. What helps reading, what helps you grow your reading skills, what helps you grow any skill is doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. How do you get better at swimming? And if you you need the help and support, there are people out there who are willing to support you. Absolutely. There's often, unfortunately, a correlation or a prejudice against not being able to do this skill, right? Reading. And yeah, you can get by in many places in the world without that skill because they develop other skills too, skills that I don't have, you know? So there's this unfortunate bias against people who don't have that skill or it's not as good as they or other people would like them to have. Have you experienced seeing that kind of bias there too or the shame that sometimes comes with it definitely uh, i think people get good at hiding and they Mm. get good on relying on other people the real shaming part of it has little to do with that person and more to do with the lack of supports that failed them Mm. the teachers that failed them the school curriculum that failed them Mm. there is more than one way to teach and not everybody learns the same way like I see pictures in my head. So, you know, a certain kind of strategy might work better for me as to you who sees words. When we try that one size fits all approach, it doesn't work. Yeah. And often schools are conveyor belts in a way that they don't have time. Of course, it's not the teacher's fault, but they are taught to teach 
in that way, unfortunately. That doesn't help everybody, for sure. And there's other people that need even extra support in those things because it is a skill that you may not need, but it's a skill that can certainly help you a lot. Being a good reader and developing that skill can help you in any language, I imagine. More is more for that, too. What other myths have you found that kind of persist? Just more about, you know, the need to read quickly. Uh People are always talking about how you've got to be a speed reader. You've got to be able to read a book a day. Who said so? Yeah, everyone thinks this should be my goal, right? It's like this false goal that people think that they should have. I need to be able to read fast and speak fast and not have subtitles and not listen to the audiobook. I think you should be able to read road signs quickly enough, you know, as you're driving. But other than that, what's the rush? Enjoy. I think a lot of the people who read very quickly, they're probably not retaining Mm. a lot. Mm -hmm. They're not retaining as much as if you take your time to kind of go at your pace. You don't have to be real slow, but go at your pace. Go at Mm. the pace that feels comfortable for you. Mm. When you go at your pace, you can absorb what you want to absorb. Take whatever messages or lessons the reading has for you and internalize that. But when you're speed reading, I feel like that all goes out the door. There are some exceptions. I'm sure there's people who have won memory contests where they can read something and then spit it back verbatim, right? But also, where's the fun in that? That's an interesting goal, but it's not mine, I can tell you. I need to read faster. Why? Are you on a time crunch, you know? It's almost like speaking, right? People say they need to speak faster. And I believe it's mm-hmm. Japanese, really fast language. Like the, the number of syllables that they say, it's the number one fastest language. The number of syllables they say per minute is more than English. Spanish is like, I think, number two or number three. So some people think like, oh, I need to speak English quickly. I need lots of syllables coming out of my mouth at a very fast pace. When I'm speaking, it's not the number of syllables per second. It's the rhythm. Just like if a book is readable, right, or you're kind of stumbling and you're tripping on it, and it's not written in a way that flows very nicely. To me, it's the same as conversation. If I can do, 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 if I'm really following somebody along, like a nice train ride, then I'm getting more out of it because I'm paying more attention to what matters. The speed doesn't yeah. matter. It's like sitting in traffic. The speed doesn't matter. What matters is you enjoying the experience, I think. Yeah. So maybe the pace at which you read can be like an enjoyable pace. The rhythm of the sentences mm-hmm. and good writing, to me, really captures me. And it's like, I can't put this down because it's like music mm-hmm. to me. You know, it's got a strong yeah. beat. It's got a good rhythm. Whereas other things that are frankly not written very well, (laughs) then it's a slog to get through it, right? You're just like walking through the mud and you can get through it and it's tough, but there's no joy in there. That's why I think the speed doesn't matter. Yeah. It reminds me of the 12 week year. I read that book and I remember there was two chapters in the book I could just not get into the rhythm of. It was the chapter that was towards sports. Okay. <laughs> Kept using a lot of like sports references and sports terminology. Everything else I could speed through, but this one, I, it just kept stopping me. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't get, because I don't get the game of football. For somebody else, that was the flow mm-hmm. also. And maybe somebody yeah. else didn't quite catch them. When a writer has a very clear audience in mind, it really speaks to them, right? People who are authors and they're like, oh, I'm going to write this for everybody. Well, you're writing it for nobody. And Mm -hmm. I love picking up a book and going, "Mm, that's clearly not for me. Put that Mm -hmm. down. And I like the no's sometimes more than the yeses because I like Mm -hmm. knowing that I didn't read something that A, probably wasn't meant for me. And B, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed either because there are going to be analogies and things like that that I don't connect with. So I think finding the material that speaks to you 
too, is also really important. Don't just read things that other people tell you. Read what speaks to you. And what other myths have you come across? Myths or tips? Let's see. So in terms of a reading tip is, again, we just talked a little bit about that. Mm. Read what interests you. Mm. That's how I started getting back into reading. I was mm. like, I love science fiction books. That's mm. what I started to read. Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay, let me check out this romance genre. <laughs> let me check out the self-help, you know, book for entrepreneurs. Mm. And then if you pick up a book and you start reading and it doesn't hold your interest, you don't have to finish it. Yes, people feel like they have to be committed. They're like completists, right? That can hold you back for sure. You feel like you have yeah. to complete something. And yeah, and it's so much better to say no and start something you really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And speaking of one certain, let's say genre, right? You say science fiction. I love science fiction, first of all. We'll talk more mm -hmm. about that later. But some people might say science fiction. Yeah, that's silly. But <laughs> there are so many subgenres of science fiction, yeah. right? That you might not realize, like, for example, there's certain subgenres of science fiction that I don't like at all. And there's some that I'm just like, I'll read and reread and reread again and again and again. Yes, yes. Give it another try. Take a deeper look. For me, reading is a lot like restaurants or books are a lot like restaurants, right? I have mm -hmm. a friend who thinks she has good taste in restaurants. And she is also very, let's say, adamant. She's very picky. She's very adamant. Mm -hmm. And she thinks if she yeah. likes the restaurant, it's a good restaurant and everybody will like it. And too many mm -hmm. times, too many times, because she's also very picky, I'll go to the restaurant she wants to go to. And she wasn't that the best? Wasn't that the best restaurant you've ever been to? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like, I was like, not for me. <laughs> yes. And then I have other people who our tastes are very similar. And if they recommend yeah. a restaurant, I'm there. I'm there and mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to like it. So I feel like getting recommendations from people who have similar reading tastes as you Oof, I totally go for it. My sister is always recommending books to me. She's like, you should read this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but wait, is it like when you read them, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I read that. Or you're like, I just did this maybe to get her off my back. The last book that she recommended to me, it actually was pretty good. I wouldn't have picked it up on my own. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have read it on my own. Mm -hmm. um, it was because I was bored. <laughs> I need something good to read yeah. and I don't want to waste my time on something that I'm like, start reading mm -hmm. it. Okay, that mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. I want something I'm to stick with that I can get it through, and I was able to. Mm. That's like me when I'm watching yeah. Netflix and Netflix uh -huh. keeps suggesting these things. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, Netflix, I can find my own shows. And it keeps popping up and popping up like, Netflix, leave me alone. I know what I like. And then finally, I'm like, <laughs> all right, Netflix, fine. I'll watch this thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm like, really, Netflix? You thought I would like There's that one? And then sometimes I'm like, it's Netflix? I really like that mm -hmm. suggestion. And I was ignoring it the whole time. Exactly, the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be bored enough to click on that one. Right. And yeah. then we'll see. Yes, definitely. What are you reading now? What are you into? And what are your thoughts on digital versus paper books? I do both. Mm -hmm. Here's what I've heard. What I read in the book about the research yeah. is that reading digitally can be distracting sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The idea of like, oh, I could click on the definition. Know what this word means. I didn't know. That distracts you. That takes you out from the reading. Mm -hmm. It's, you it's go either down the rabbit or. Hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I have heard. Like the hyperlinks and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff mm -hmm. can stop the process, can stop the flow. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your personal preference? Do you have a preference or do you like both equally? My personal preference is audiobooks. Mm, I didn't even put that on the list. At the same time uh -huh, uh -huh. as a physical book. 
Ah. It's very rare. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's my preference. It's been since university. Mm-hmm. Even before we had all text to speech, I would yeah. take my readings mm-hmm. and I would, you know, put it into my like robotic voice to speech thing. And that would really help me in uh, university uh, process the information. Cool. So that is what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Do you have a specific text to speech reader that you like? Oh, guys, I, mean, I don't even remember. Speechify, I use. I don't know that one. I use the one called Natural Readers. That's the one I use. <laughs> Another thing that I do that I use the open source library is like a free library mm-hmm. and some of the books have been turned into speech the pdfs also have the speech aspect uh, of it yeah. what i know is something it's a it's a vox LibriVox, mate LibriVox. thank you those are great too because often they're done by voice actors as well or there's yeah. different versions and you can cool. upload one yeah i had students do an english was their second language and they were doing romeo and juliet i was doing a literature class yeah it was a high level bilingual school literature class i think it was romeo and juliet so there's a way that you can submit that there so i had them make essentially a play and we recorded it and submitted it so there's a way that you could do that too for fun as well internet archive is the website that's a good point right people don't need the barrier of like oh i can't afford books or anything there's so Mm -hmm. many free resources and people are reading so much more now than they used to just Mm -hmm. because of their phones and all the whatsapp chats and what are you reading these days well the next book i'm reading is a teacher book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try mm-hmm. and put it towards my camera. Okay. Oh, the Logic of English. That one is just to kind of help we just get a basic grasp on how to teach spelling, how to teach the rules. People are like, why does that make this sound? Like, I mm-hmm. want to be able to explain. That's mm-hmm. why it makes mm-hmm. it sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, these, do these letter combinations together make this sound? Yeah. This book means it. You know, people mm-hmm. are always like, oh, hard it just is just because i want to not use that as an excuse yeah Um. sorry it's english instead here's a pattern that might be helpful to you so let's um, learn for me for work i'm reading this book it's called stop asking questions and Mm. it's a way to kind of learn to interview people better i think there's discussions like we're having and then there's some people that need a little more help and so I'm trying to learn how to how to get them out of their shell a little bit better. So that's the one I'm working on for work. What else do you have there? I've got this book. I read it recently. Mm. Mexican Gothic. It looks familiar. The cover looks familiar. So what I like about this, it's kind of this like the word is dark drama, mm. like macabre, kind of uh, like yeah. a gothic Mm-hmm. novel mm-hmm. so it's all a family story a young woman and family issues and creepy house it's fun i don't read that much fiction i read science fiction which i love mm-hmm. but i don't read yeah. much let's say non-science fiction yeah. here's the book i wanted to show you earlier i got it in digital and then mm-hmm. i loved it so much number one i bought, Yay! I bought the hardcover of atlas of the heart by Brene brown not only that, not, oh, look, we're twins. Not only that, <laughs> but I also, I give it as gifts, like for Christmas or somebody's uh-huh. birthday. Such a good book uh-huh. to give as a gift because I think we could all use more emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I just love how she breaks it down and gives examples. Yes. What else do you have over there? What else are you reading? So there's this book, <laughs> The Women's Strength Training Anatomy Workouts. Again, like everything has a name. Like yeah. all of your muscles have a name and I want to mm-hmm. be able to name them mm. and i want to be able to use them i want to be able to not hurt them so i've been 
reading this book, and I like this book because it's a narrative and it has some good common sense mm-hmm. uh, tips mm-hmm. about how not to hurt yourself at the gym. <laughs> That's important. Yes. Don't get hurt at the gym. You know, when I was in university, I took anatomy courses because I was a biological yeah. anthropology major. So we took anatomy one and two and like a lot of anatomy courses. And I really liked it. My logical brain was like, yeah, I'm going to put labels on all these things. I'm going to remember them with acronyms and all these things. I loved my anatomy courses. And then, I don't know if you know this, I had a brain tumor when I was just at the end of university. And it was really advanced by the time they found it. It was about the size of a golf ball or a chicken egg inside my head, behind my ear. And one thing that I felt really comforted by was my knowledge of anatomy already. So I didn't have to have these big scary terms. I already knew what the trigeminal nerve was and the hearing imbalance nerve. And I knew a lot of the brain structures and things like that. And I wasn't as scared or terrified when they would say like, oh, and this might happen. And, you know, maybe you'll have seizures and there's swelling in the brain. And I thought, this is not something I need to worry about now because I felt really comforted by my knowledge already. Mm -hmm. So that's what it reminded me of when you showed me that Women's Anatomy for Strength book Mm -hmm. is that like, Knowing those things and visualizing those things can take a lot of anxiety out of some yeah. of these things, even if it's just a workout. Yeah. And knowledge is power. The only reason why I started this whole weight training thing was because I kept hurting myself doing everyday around the habits. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I learned that if you want to not hurt, you have to move the things that hurt. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Let's see. Yeah. What else am I reading? Here's another one that I got digitally and I loved it so much that I had to get mm-hmm. it in paper. Because I like holding these things in my hand and I'm, I feel more engaged just turning the page. But if you haven't read this one, highly recommend it. It's called Girl Decoded. And it's about an Egyptian woman who, when she was growing up and the internet was still new and this electrical mechanical thing was, was still kind of a new thing. She was thinking the whole time, like, hey, these machines are very cold and they don't really interact with us on any kind of emotional level. But they can't do it on their own. We have to teach the machines. We have to teach the AI, the emotional intelligence. So she's been trying to bring emotional intelligence into artificial intelligence. And so now she does like a face recognition software that can tell your emotion based on, I think it's like 70 points of data. And it can judge with pretty good accuracy, like how you're feeling. So getting our devices, a little bit scary, but I would like, I would Mm. like my alarm to know if I really need 10 more minutes of sleep or if I'm just being Mm. lazy, for example. (laughs) And my interest in intonation, I think, goes with that because I think it would be, you know how kids, well, a lot of people, when they talk to Siri, they're quite rude, right? (laughs) And it's been found that people who do that a lot, then they forget their manners with humans as well. Uh, So I would like those devices not to respond mm -hmm. until you say something nicely, for example. Like, I think that would be good for us. So that's another book I'm reading. Do you have anything else in front of you? I have not started this book. I have it on my Libby to read. Yeah. Mm. I know that this author has wrote another popular book. But mm. I like books that are about different cultures and just like the cultural experience in other countries. And just mm. what's the name of that book, by the way? And can you explain oh, what Libby is for people who don't know? Oh, yeah. So this is The Lowland, and the name of the author, Jumpa Lahiri, and I think I'm saying that okay. Mm-hmm. And Libby is just my library book app. So my public library, many public libraries are connected to Libby. Mm. So you can get your books just like you would go into the library. 
you just get them with your library card over your phone or your computer. Mm. Oh, okay, great. So we'll put that link also in the show notes. And any other things that we've mentioned, we'll put those links in there too. Yes. So do you remember when travel books were more about going to the place and feeling like you were really, really there? And then you had other books Mm -hmm. that were more about the transformations that the person was going through in the place and it was less about the place. Yeah. For me, I like ones that kind of show the place more than the character. That's me, though. That's my preference. Mm -hmm. I agree. I used to read a lot about Cuba before I went. Mm. And so just in my mind, I was like, ah. So when I got to go, it was like amazing. I read about places, especially when I can't actually go there. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you are going, then it primes you too. And they say, there's something about how memories are encoded. How we feel about our memories is either how we were before the thing happened or how we think about the thing after the thing happened, right? And that colors our memories a little bit too. So I imagine you reading about Cuba before going that enhanced your memories so much more, right? And there's so many places that I would love to visit, but we can't go everywhere. So kind of this armchair travel is something I've always Exactly. Loved. Yeah, I love that. I have one more on my list. Do you have any more? I may have a, like a couple of like romance novels. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Talia Hibbert yeah. is an African-American writer and she has a bunch of romance novels. They feature women who I feel like are kind of like me. Mm-hmm. I mean, women who are just like more progressive. I like her romance. Oh, women who have disabilities. Oh, awesome. Know? Awesome. Mm-hmm. And like it can get a little adult. But yeah. not as adult as some of the adulty things out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes. It's hard, too, because you might not know where something is yeah. on that continuum, yeah. right? Until you have to yeah. pick it up or you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, that, I'm touching my pearl. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm blushing right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different kind of writing we could talk about. Yes. The <laughs> last one I think you and I have talked about. I'm super excited. And it's somebody that I have talked to before. It's this book you love it's called permission yes. to speak and not stop talking about it i'm only maybe 70 pages into it but mm-hmm. it's really really good because it does talk there's this diversity in how we speak along the lines of gender or race or sexuality or just culture and subculture and it talks about i've only started but it talks about the choices that we make especially as women you know not mm-hmm. feeling free and always having to feel kind of small and not to speak up too much and things like that mm-hmm. so historically that's one that I also really like. Thanks, me. I've heard about this. I'm going to order this book. <laughs> yes. I buy everything digitally. Well, I mean, I have mm-hmm. this trend. I buy something digitally because I don't want an extra book around. And then I'll buy the book. Right? <laughs> I read things twice. And this was the one where I'm like, I'm not going to buy the digital version. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to get the book. And I'm glad I did because I'm a highlighter. Okay. Thanks to me. And do you highlight in books? I use pencil so that okay. if at one point I ever wanted to erase, I could, but I won't. I was going to say, have you? Have you though? I use pencil. I have been known to use transparent sticky notes. I don't know about these. No. I've seen ones with a little arrow. Those, they're transparent, except they've got a little arrow. Usually when I do like a transparent sticky note, it's because it's like to put my extra thoughts Mm, on mm, it. mm, 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 It's less about underlining and more kind mm, of like, mm, I have a full idea that mm, this think about and I'm going to write it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also, if I'm reading digitally, I'll do the same. I'll bookmark it and I'll yep. leave either the text note or I'll do like a little voice thing if possible. Notes and comments. Yeah, I'm highlighter and ink pen all the way. I'm like, I am making my mark. And I used to love buying used books with other people's yeah. notes in it because I loved the idea yeah. that this was in somebody else's thoughts before. And I liked yeah. seeing what they wrote. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
but without mm-hmm. somebody being there. It was very, very, very much fun for me. But I love the mm-hmm. idea of sticky notes. I've had this thing. Has this happened to you? Where you're mm-hmm. reading on a digital book and you mm-hmm. see that somebody else has underlined it and like 3,684 people have underlined it. And then I have this compulsion to underline it too. Also, I'm like, no, I'm not falling into that trap. I'll underline whatever I want to underline. I feel that. Yes, definitely. Because sometimes I'm like, is that really that important? Not for me. <laughs> and if there's 3,000 people who underlined it, 2,000 of them did it because it was cool. Yeah. 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 I, I do the same thing too. I'm like, are you sure you're uh-huh. just underlining for the sake of underlining? Like, let's make sure this is really underline worthy. Yes. Because you're a pencil person and I'm a highlighter person. So final thoughts then of all the things that we talked about or didn't talk about, what's one thing that you would like everybody to know about reading and the intersection of reading and speaking? You know, it's really connected. It's all connected. And I think that with pronunciation, with reading, it's something that you have to do. You have to practice, put Mm -hmm. it into practice Mm -hmm. to develop your fluency. Mm -hmm. And I think they're both kind of scary things to undertake but you can improve your English you can get better if Mm -hmm. you speak if you practice if you read the books if you accept yourself where you are yeah and are okay with that Mm -hmm. um and just work on moving forward I think that's a good point too accepting yourself where you are not to try too hard at something that Mm -hmm. that might hurt you (laughs) might hurt your reading muscles (laughs) <laughs> you pull a reading muscle and you might not want to do it again for a while because it wasn't a great experience. But yeah, a little bit every day. Yeah. It's a great way to think about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And Della, I know we have so much more to talk about because I keep thinking of questions and things to bring up to you and bits of research <laughs> that I've read and, and tactics yeah. and strategies and myths and tips and all these other things. So we'll have to do it again. We're going to have like, intersection of reading and speaking part two. And I'd love to hear from other people too, people who've gone through this, people who've been learning English as a second language and what their experience was too. So maybe we can even do like a panel or something like that and see what's going on there. So I wanted to say thank you so much for coming today and talking about all of this and being willing to to share your thoughts and experiences here. You're welcome. (laughs) I was honored that you had invited me. I love talking about teaching and talking about books. So this is great. Yeah, and I know it's your passion. And I've been wanting to find somebody, too, that is really excited about these things as well. I talk about what I think is true, but I don't know as much research. I haven't had as much experience as you have. So I'm really honored to have you here today and to say, we're going to do this again soon. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. So, Della, if you have anything that people can do to get better at reading, to contact you for some help, what could you advise them to do? So I put a lot of tips and tricks on my Instagram account. So you can always find me and follow me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can check out my website. If you have any questions, you can go to www.dellateaches.com and send me a message there. Find out more about what I do, how I work. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure you can help a lot of people. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon, Della. Okay. Bye. Bye. And once again, I want to say thanks to Della so much for joining me to talk today about the intersection of reading and speaking. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. And now what I want you to do is join my Discord community. It's completely free and you can get free help for your accent every Wednesday in my office hours on Discord. So if you want to join, there's a link in the show notes and I'll see you every Wednesday. If this episode was helpful to you in any way, please subscribe and leave a review. It's actually really helpful to me. I'm your accent coach, Bianca, and I want you to know that your voice is your choice. I'll see you on the next one.